pals, are you lazy and have some public radio nerds in your life? If yes, then the NPR shop is the perfect gift-giving solution for you. Why leave the comfort of your own home to go holiday shopping with the masses? The online NPR shop has something for everyone. Mugs, hoodies, and Nina Toten bag. So hit up shop.npr.org and get your shop on today. Now, before we start, again, I just want to say thank you so much for listening to The Big Listen. It means a lot to us. Now, if you love the show, or even if you just want to have coffee with it and see where things go, please leave us a review on iTunes. It really helps other people find the show. Truly, it does. So thanks. Now, let's start the show. This is my mom. I'm Kathy Ober. Sometimes she goes by a nickname my brother gave her. Oh, this is so embarrassing. Killa Kay. She's a stone-cold killer. All right, so Killa Kay, when did you start listening to podcasts? Uh, maybe about a year ago when you introduced me to them. Well, what did I say to you? You just said this might be something you'd like to do. I'm Lauren Ober, and from WAMU and NPR, this is The Big Listen, the broadcast about podcasts. Each week on The Big Listen, we introduce you to podcasts you might not have ever heard of, and we give you the inside scoop on shows you already love. Also, occasionally, we talk to my mom. I'm not really going to be on your podcast. What? I'm not really going to be on it, am I? You thought we were not actually going to be on the radio? You didn't tell me. That I was going to. Yes, I did. Why do you think we're sitting in a recording studio? Yeah, no, I really have to listen. Yeah, exactly. I might sound really bad. I hope you do a lot of editing. We do do a lot of editing. <laughs> like most of it. Like edit most of you out? Yes. It'll just be my questions, but no answers on the other side. Right. This week, my mom, Killa Kay, is going to give us her top podcast picks. What are you listening to? Let, where's your playlist? Get your, get let, your... let me get my playlist. <laughs> Gotta find it in the purse. Yes. I know some of them off by heart, but I can't remember all the ones I have. Okay, Mom, seriously, you have a show to do. You don't have time for all this putzing around in your purse. We will come back to you. But now I want to introduce folks to a podcaster who basically lives in the future. Hello, and welcome to Flash Forward. I'm Rose, and I'm your host. Flash Forward is a podcast about possible and not-so-possible futures. Every week, we take on a specific potential tomorrow and try to really overthink what it might be like. Every episode starts with a trip to the future before we zip back to now to talk to experts about what we just saw and what it would really be like. This week, let's start in the year 2034. In each episode of Flash Forward, Rose Eveleth explores a different possible future. From the ridiculous, like a future without schools, to the dead serious, like the growing threat of antibiotic-resistant bacteria. Some of the scenarios are downright terrifying, like a future without pets, which is totally not a future I want to have any part in. No thank you. Hello and welcome to the United States Animal Welfare Task Force hotline. All calls are toll-free and strictly confidential. To hear about the new rules and regulations surrounding domesticated animals, press 1. To report an animal welfare violation, press 2. To file a report about birds, press 1. To file a report about... Cats, press 2. To file a report about dogs, press 3. Please select the type of report you would like to file. If someone is breeding, dogs, press 1. If someone is selling, dogs, press 2. If someone is distributing material about how to breed or sell, dogs, 
press 3. If someone is keeping one or more dogs as pets, press 4. Please leave your message with as much detail as possible about the violation you would like to report. Keeping pets of any kind is against the Emergency Animal Welfare Act. All calls are strictly confidential. Remember, if you see something, say something. Rose Eveleth, welcome to The Big Listen. Thanks for having me. Okay, so give us a little synopsis of Flash Forward. So the premise is every episode we go to a different possible future. So some of them are probable. So we've done things like what happens if antibiotics stop working, which is a scary reality. And then we've also done things that are just never, ever going to happen. Like, you know, what happens if space pirates drag a second moon to Earth and now the Earth has two moons, you know, and (laughs) use that to kind of talk about physics and the things like that. What happens if the Earth stops revolving around the sun and falls into the sun? You know, things that like not going to happen, but allow us to talk a little bit about sort of scenarios and physics and that kind of thing. So it sort of ranges ranges from highly likely, you know, facial recognition technology, quantified self, microbiome stuff to the like completely implausible. And so what was it about future times or these sort of um, speculative scenarios that appealed to you? So I had never really thought of myself as somebody who would become like a technology reporter or even like a future person. Uh, My background is in environmental science and genetics. And then I went to journalism school and I thought I would write about, you know, the environment and, you know, like health and genetics and sort of science. Um, But I actually wound up starting to write some stories about prosthetics and sort of slowly through that started talking a lot about sort of the future of the body and the future of technology and kind of started working on a lot of these topics. And so, and I was also really frustrated with a lot of what I was seeing in the conversations about futurism and sort of about the future. Um, I thought that they were either too techno-utopian or they were like, you know, kind of consulting, business consulting stuff, which is fine, but sort of not that interesting to me personally. So I figured it was a fun thing to do. And I I wanted to be able to sort of flex like an interesting kind of sci-fi muscle because I'm a huge sci-fi fan. Mm -hmm. And um, the show, every episode starts with like a little sort of funny War of the World style like audio drama where like you begin with a trip to the future and we like see what it's like and so that's everything from like fake NPR reports from the future or just a scene from something happening or advertisements from the future and so it lets me kind of like be kooky and create these sort of sci-fi worlds which was also part of the appeal to do like a a future based show. NASA scientists have announced recent readings that suggest a rogue spacecraft headed toward Earth. Scientists at NASA have identified the ship as the Baikonawa 3, one of the four ships stolen in the 2025 raid at the SpaceX facility. The ship also seems to be towing an extremely large asteroid in some kind of thin plastic bubble. No contact has successfully been made with the ship thus far. At this point, the White House has not advised any evacuations. We will continue to update you as we can as the story develops. Moon in sight. Visual confirmed. Initiate capture sequence. Preparing bubble. Activate thrusters. Ten. Nine. Bubble extending. Seven. Six. Kill bubble. Kill bubble. Four. Three. Two. One. Bubble fully extended. All of your pieces are grounded in reporting. You're actually talking to people with some expertise on all of these topics. So, you know, it's not just complete sci-fi speculation. You're talking to people who know something about this. 
Yeah, so we try to pair sort of this like, you know, weirdo fiction thing. And the idea is basically like take the idea as far forward as possible, almost to the point of absurdity, and then kind of walk back help with the help of experts. Sometimes I do talk to science fiction writers because they have really interesting thoughts about the future, but I also talk to engineers and scientists and political scientists and people who just sort of have thought about these topics a lot. Historians, I talk to a lot of historians, so I think historians actually are an undertapped resource in futurism. Mm -hmm. um, and I really try to bring in experts. So it's sort of a, yeah, it's, it's a little bit of sort of weird audio fiction and then mostly reporting. <laughs> You are exploring this sort of this sort of high and low, the the dark future and the sort of light future. I like the mix, but I feel like the dark shows like they make me nervous. I hear that a lot. Um, <laughs> it's funny. Some people are like I, the the you know the negative things I hear. You know, aside from like you know, oh, I hate how women's voices sound. Um, <laughs> are the things like, oh, why is it so dark? And it's funny because to me, I don't think of the show as being dark. I think of it as being kind of realistic. Um, and I know, and and we do, you know, for a lot of them, we'll say like, okay, like, what's the worst thing that could happen here? Because I think that like that's a fun thought experiment, and also an important one in a lot of cases. Because I think a lot of futurism is about who wins, all the people who are going to be better off when we have, you know, driverless cars or whatever technology. And it is some of the futures that we talk about. I mean, antibiotic resistance is the one that people often are like too scary. Like I didn't <laughs> like that one. I didn't like like we're all going to die basically. The CDC announced new plans for bacterial quarantines today. Citing widespread and deadly antibiotic-resistant bacteria, the center says that anyone with an identified bacterial infection will have to be quarantined for at least 30 days. Day four. They gave me the books I requested, but the sanitation process makes the pages smell really weird. I shouldn't have asked for a handmaid's tale. I had to stop reading it halfway through. Being stuck here in this room, it was just, uh, too real, I guess. Except without the sex part. That wouldn't be sanitary. And the only thing I get to care about right now is being totally sterile, waiting for this infection to die. I mean, I get it. If I leave, I'll be a walking death trap. It's just really boring in here. In a move that could open a new legal front in the debate over how antibiotic resistance is handled, a group of 7,000 quarantine patients has hired a civil rights lawyer. The group says they will challenge the legality of mandatory quarantine policies. When you're doing these episodes, do you ever pause for a second and think, like, the future is scary because I feel like the future is really scary um, from from a, a cultural point of view, from a sociological perspective. Like I just take a real dim view of the future. Do you feel that way or do you feel like doing this um, makes you excited about the future or maybe somewhere in between? Yeah, I think I definitely fall in between. Um, it's funny, people often expect for me to be very like cynical and dystopian because a lot of the shows do wind up kind of touching on those things. Um, but I think to me, from what I've sort of seen reporting the show, and I really try to focus on also like the sort of fringe parts, and not even fringe, but the voices that don't get, you know, the microphone as often when it comes to futurism. So like anybody who's not like a straight white dude. Um, <laughs> and I really try to like talk to those people as much as I can. Um, and they've really been inspiring, I think, to me, because a lot of them, you know, they're not sad or scared about it, even though like they're often the most marginalized voices in the conversation. Mm -hmm. um, do you find in doing this show that you are thinking 
thinking about future scenarios all the time? Like, oh, yeah. is it hard to live <laughs> in the present? <laughs> I mean, not as much. It's really fun because like now pretty much anytime people says like say things like, oh, I wonder why this happens or I wonder what like what if I'm like, oh, that's that's a show like this is a show. Um, My mom, I was on the phone with my mom recently and she was talking about this really interesting article that she read about why humans have evolved the capacity to like um, be in denial, which seems to be kind Mm. of a a, a distinctly human trait Mm -hmm. that like humans are very good at like pretending things aren't happening or, you know, this feeling of denial. And I feel like I, I feel like, like my dog, I feel like my dog is often <laughs> in denial of doing bad things. Like he pretends like, what? What? Who did yeah, that? Who? No, it must have been the other dog that lives here. <laughs> um, yeah, but I was, my immediate thought was like, oh, I wonder what a future without denial would be like. You know, like oh. just if you could like turn that off. So I think about it all the time and it's really fun. It like makes you, I think it also makes you appreciate how weird the present is Yeah. Um, in ways that like I didn't before I was working on this show. Is there an episode that you've done that that just really tickled you or really um, that you really loved? Um, the first episode of this new season, um, I really enjoyed. It was, it's about what would happen if the entire world went face blind. This is a condition that was formerly rare, affecting about 2% of the population. Today, however, and over the course of the next few months, as the nanoparticles persist in our water supply, the condition will become nearly universal. We are still investigating other possible impacts from these nanoparticles. The National Institutes of Health will continue to fund this emergency research group to learn more about other possible effects. Thank you. I will now take questions. If if you want one that's like not scary and not serious, that's the one to go with. (laughs) Well, um, then then those of us who are scared of the future (laughs) will check that out and it will ease us into uh, into future times. Rose Eveleth is the host of Flash Forward. You can get more info about her show at biglisten.org. Now, my mom, Killa Kay, hasn't subscribed to Flash Forward yet. It's probably because she hates the future. But she has subscribed to the Big Listen, and so should you. Because seriously, you don't want to incur her wrath. Trust me. Now, speaking of Killa Kay, let's see what else she's listening to. She should have dug out her phone by now from her giant purse, although who knows, there's a lot in there, so. Here All right, go. here we go. So what, okay. do you, what do you have going on here? I have yoga music that I listen to at night, and I have Freakonomics Radio. Today on Freakonomics Radio. Marketplace. Stories about finance. Open Source, which I listened to last night. I'm Christopher Leiden. This is Open Source. The New Yorker Out Loud. This is The New Yorker Out Loud. Criminal. Elizabeth Daniel lost four pints of blood. America's Test Kitchen. I put it on there, but I've never listened to that one. <laughs> I don't know why. I'm not, a, I'm not a cooking person, but America's Test Kitchen is very interesting. You hate food. Why would you even... <laughs> I know, but the guy that does it, what's his name? Chris Christopher Kim- Kimball. Yeah. I like the stuff he talks right. about. Okay. And I, do- I, I mean, you don't like it enough to actually listen to it. No, I've seen him on TV. Okay. This is America's Test Kitchen from the Public Radio Exchange PR. But she does listen to 99% Invisible, the TED Radio Hour, Invisibilia, and something called Yoga Amazing. Just become present with the moment, with the breath. Those are the ones that I have so far, and I had to delete some because I was on my vacation and wanted to take some pictures, and I had no storage left, so I had to delete some. We've all been there, Kathy. I have, like, no space left on my phone at all. Time to update that iPhone 2G, or what, 2, what is it? 2C? 5C? 
I don't know. <laughs> well, speaking of vacation, we're going to take a little break ourselves now. But when we come back, we'll chat with one of the folks behind the Smithsonian's new podcast, Side Door. I want to talk about pandas. I want to talk to you about pandas. Why does Megan hate pandas? That's up next on The Big Listen. Stick around. This is NPR. Hey, pals. Guess what? There's a new show at NPR, and it's a little different than what we've done before. It's called Radio Ambulante, and it's in Spanish. Our first ever podcast in Spanish, in fact. The show takes a look at Latin America and U.S. Latino communities, bringing you stories you might not otherwise hear. Punk rock in Cuba, stolen books in Colombia, junk bonds in Puerto Rico. It's hosted by novelist Daniel Alarcón, and it tells Latin American stories from the inside. So check out Radio Ambulante on NPR One or at npr.org slash podcasts. What's up, nerd? This is your little brother, RJ, calling from Brooklyn, New York, and I'm listening to a podcast called The Bowery Boys that explores New York City history, uh, important individuals, movements, technologies, uh, all the way from colonial times to the present. They keep it pretty light and humorous, usually uh, in the form of an awful pun. Uh, but it's, since it's more of a conversation than a monologue, I feel like I actually retain some of their very well-researched knowledge. Some of my favorite episodes have been uh, Aaron Burr versus Alexander Hamilton. At precisely 7 a.m., Hamilton and Burr raised their firearms, their bodies turned to the side, the slimmest silhouettes, to present forward as little body area as possible. Their seconds prepared the guns, and Pendleton read the rules. I'd recommend uh, really all of them, whether you live here in New York or not, as they say. Welcome back to The Big Listen. I'm Lauren Ober, and wasn't that fun? My little brother RJ just called. Totally unprompted, of course, because anyone with little brothers knows that you cannot force those guys to do anything. Well, if you want to be like my brother, call us on our extremely fun pod line at 202-885-POD1 and let other very attractive listeners such as yourselves know what they should be listening to. Now... I want you to buckle your seatbelts because... We're on a field trip right now! Ah! Jacob, are you so excited about our field trip? I am. I feel like we should be wearing matching t-shirts and lanyards. (laughs) That's my producer, Jacob. I should be carrying an umbrella and you should be following me. Exactly. (laughs) We're on a field trip to the National Mall. Where else? To meet up with our new friends at the Smithsonian Institution. Hi, how are you? Lauren Elber. Tony, good to see you. you. We're meeting up with Tony to see a particular room in the basement of the Smithsonian's Sackler Gallery. Oh, my lord. This is... Hideous and amazing. (laughs) Every wall and the ceiling are this deep blue color with golden peacocks on the walls. But everything is falling apart. So there are smashed vases. There are uh, fractions of them on the floor. So what does all this broken pottery have to do with podcasts? Great question. This is Side Door, a podcast from the Smithsonian. 
I'm Tony Cohn, and with my co-host, Megan Dietrich. Hey, guys. Side Door is a new podcast from, yes, the Smithsonian Institution. Side Door is like a new entryway to our 19 museums. It's the Side Door. You caught that little reference? (laughs) The podcast isn't just interviews with museum curators. It's a way to tell the stories behind the art and research and everything else the Smithsonian does. Like the story behind the peacock room. This is a story about a lifelong grudge between former friends that all began over a dining room. Uh, Wait, a what? Yep, a dining room. Today it's the best surviving example of an interior from the aesthetic movement. But back when it was painted in the late 1800s, it was the first shot in what would become a war. Meet James McNeil Whistler, a modernist painter and society darling and Frederick Leyland. Leyland was a shipping magnate who fancied himself a patron of the arts. Whistler described their relationship was once friends, forever enemies. That's Dr. Lee Glazer, curator of American art at the Smithsonian's Freer-Sackler Museum of Asian Art. It was 1876. Leyland was looking to redesign his dining room. Whistler was working on the job, but only to advise on the color of the shutters. And then, as contractors so often do, the guy in charge had to drop out. So suddenly Whistler is in charge of the entire thing. So Leyland goes away for the summer and leaves Whistler to finish the job. The dining room was initially envisioned as a sunny Chinese pavilion with yellow leather walls and shelving for Leyland's huge blue and white porcelain collection. That yellow Chinese pavilion met... Whistler's imagination... And he proceeded to cover every surface of the room with this blue and gold and green pattern derived from the peacock's feather. The letters back and forth were so amazing. Like once they decided that they hated each other, but maybe they were in love with each other. I don't know. That's just me speculating. Um, The letters were so shady. Like it was just so perfect. I love that. Yeah. And it... For me personally, I send, it reminded me of like of text messages today almost, but it was hilarious to me that, you know, back in that time, it was letters back and forth, of course. Right. Um, but today it would just be click, click, click Were you the s- are, are you sending a lot of text shade to I'm people? not affirming or denying that, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that question. <laughs> Whom the gods intend to be ridiculous, they furnish with a frill. I will publicly horsewhip you. You seem to me to be rapidly developing a capacity for becoming a bore. Your swaggering self-assertion has made you an unbearable nuisance. An artistic Barnum. (laughs) What is the sort of overarching goal of this? Like, everyone knows the Smithsonian, right? Everyone comes here on their eighth grade trip, you know, or their family comes here or something. Like, everyone gets this place. What else can you tell us? Yeah, well, I think the as a museum, research center, education complex, the, the Smithsonian has been in the storytelling business forever, just not on this platform. And I was on the Metro one day listening to Freakonomics, and I realized what makes a really good podcast is really good storytellers, really good storytelling, and kind of that, like, aha moment where you learn something new. And I realized those are things that I experience every day here at the Smithsonian. We just weren't talking about them on a podcast. 
Mm -hmm. Because the Smithsonian, I think people don't realize that that they're in conservation, you know, and and, um, wildlife, but then they're also doing, you know, ancient art and cultural pieces. You just opened the, you know, National Museum of African American History and Culture, but then you also run the National Zoo, you know? So um, how are all those things linked? So we had this massive whiteboard. And for the first, like, two weeks when Megan came on, we... Megan Dietrich, who is... Yes, my good friend Megan Dietrich, our co- my co-producer. Uh, we, all we did was sit at computers and run around the museums in our research center in our zoo and talk to different people. And we had this list of 100 different story ideas. And we put them up on a whiteboard and we started to think, you know, wow, like the story at the zoo about the orangutans, it actually kind of connects to the Phyllis Diller joke file. Like, <laughs> we would never, like, we would never <laughs> think Phyllis that. Phyllis Diller would love that, right, yes, by yes, the way. Yes. Sometimes it really is all in the delivery especially if you're the legendary comic Phyllis Diller. Throughout her nearly half a century long career, Phyllis used humor to debunk myths about women's roles in society. She retired from comedy in 2002 and passed away at the age of 95 in 2012. Soon after she retired, Phyllis donated her card catalog of jokes to the Smithsonian. Her Steelmaster filing cabinet contains 48 drawers holding over 50,000 index cards. On each card is a typed joke. She calls it her gag file. Dwight Bowers, the curator emeritus of pop culture at the National Museum of American History, let us try out a few of her jokes on our own. Drawer number four is titled Men. Okay. On a scale of one to embarrassing, this is like a 10, but uh, this is me giving it my all. All right, I'm doing this in my Phyllis voice. I overheard two generals talking. One said, you take the right flank and I'll take the left. They were in a butcher shop. <laughs> okay, I want to talk about pandas. I want to talk to you about pandas. Why does Megan hate pandas? When Megan came on, I have this sense of novelty about the Smithsonian that I can't, I've been here for a while, I can't shake it. And when I said to her, Megan, we're going to go, we, we can talk to the panda guy. We can go and watch the panda do all these things. She was like, okay, great. And she wrote it down. And I said, can we take a moment and like jump up and down or something? This is kind of, this is a little emotional for me. I don't know if it was that she gets to do cool stuff all the time and I'm just really lame, but it was really exciting for me. And as we uh, went to see the pandas, I continued to freak out and take pictures and like poke her. And she kept shushing me and telling me. So, but suddenly we were like, this is a little bit of a conflict between the two of us. Like, I need your emotional support right now. This is, and please hold me as I watch this adorable bear. You've heard of Tian Tian, Mei Xiong, Bao Bao, and Bebe. Those pandas everyone is obsessed with at the Smithsonian National Zoo? Well, some conservationists think they aren't worth the hassle. What? Hear me out. With such limited funds, some people say that we should be prioritizing conservation differently. They think that it's important to weigh a bunch of factors, such as costs or what animal plays an essential role in the habitat, like pollinators. But that episode was great because it actually, like, <laughs> you're talking about how, like, the pandas maybe aren't, like, as great as everyone thinks they are. And maybe they're not even worth the amount of money and time and energy that is spent to try to conserve them. It's like, yo, if you're not going to procreate and you're just going to be lazy, like, you kind of deserve what you get. So. I agree and disagree with you, because as Bill McShay... Bill McShay, a research scientist at the Smithsonian's Conservation Biology Institute... What Bill McShay taught me was, 
By saving the pandas, we also save their habitat. Thank God there are giant pandas. If there weren't giant pandas, what would we what would we do in that part of the world? These ecosystems are in trouble, and where they're not going to be saved by logic alone, they're going to be saved by some kind of empathy. And it's hard to empathize with a bamboo forest, but it is easy to empathize with a giant panda. And if that's the way I save the bamboo forest, so be it. I'll take it. So one of the episodes that I I found really compelling, but also extremely disturbing um, for many reasons, not the least of which is that I didn't ever hear of it before, was what happened in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Yeah, so the, the the race riots in Oklahoma, in Tulsa, Oklahoma, I had the same reaction as you. I had never heard of them. And suddenly we went over to the newly opened National Museum of African American History and Culture, it just opened. We were like, we got to tell a story, but it has to be really, really good. And as you know, the creative framework for um, Side Door is typically three different stories about a theme. We were like, we got to do an entire episode on the Tulsa race riots because we had never heard of it. My co-host, Megan Dietrich, is going to tell you about one of the most devastating outbreaks of racial violence in American history, a riot that happened in 1921 in the wealthiest black community in the United States at the time the Greenwood District of Tulsa, Oklahoma. At least 1,256 homes, along with churches, schools, businesses, even a hospital, were deliberately burned or destroyed. No one knows for sure how many people were killed. Then, until the turn of the century, the story carried a kind of collective silence for the people of Oklahoma and the country. And now, Newly discovered documents and artifacts are asking the nation to reckon with its past. I was listening to it and I was in my car and I I just like kept shaking my head like, wait, what? Wait, these people were rounded up. Black men and boys were rounded up and basically imprisoned and their houses were looted. Within hours, a pattern emerged. Armed whites would break into black homes and businesses. Anyone inside was forced onto the streets. Men were led away at gunpoint to internment centers. If they resisted, they were shot. If they had guns, they were shot. The rioters then looted the homes, hauling off whatever they wanted before setting the buildings on fire. Columns of smoke rose hundreds of feet into the air over the north end of the city. This is John again, whose grandfather survived the riot. In the course of which African Americans are machine gunned down in the streets of their neighborhood, private planes drop turpentine, burning turpentine bombs on the black community so that the businesses, banks, hotels, residences, furriers, insurance companies all burn from the top down, including my grandfather's rooming house and his law offices. Eldoris Mikondishi was a young girl asleep at home when the violence broke out in North Tulsa. When my mother had me to get up, I just didn't want to get up or wake up then, so I just didn't answer her. But when she said, Eldoris, wake up, we have to go. And then she said, the white people are killing the colored folks. And she didn't have any more trouble out of me getting up then. There's one detail that sticks out to me from from that episode that I probably can't forget, which is that 
you know, months, years later, black women would see white women wearing their jewelry that had been taken from their homes. And they would walk up to them and say, you know, your husband didn't buy that for you. Just, it's such a small little thing, but it's like, it's, it, the impact or, the, or, or what it's saying about what happened is so massive. It's one thing to hear about a horrific historical event, but then to hear voices in in-person accounts of what happened was particularly jarring to me. As the Greenwood District rebuilt, the story just disappeared. It became so hidden that blacks and whites alike grew up in Tulsa having never heard of what happened. Textbooks didn't cover it, classrooms rarely taught it. Even in private, John says, a sense of shame often kept people quiet. In fact, someone went so far as to try to erase the newspaper coverage that put the riot in motion. The original bound volumes of the Tulsa Tribune from that time are gone. And in the microfilm version for May 31st, 1921, someone has torn out both a front page article and almost all of the editorial page. This history is basically hidden, suppressed. The newspapers, files disappeared from that week. Blacks didn't talk about it, whites didn't talk about it. For the most part, it became a silent part of Tulsa's history. Tony Cohn and Megan Dietry are co-hosts of Side Door, the new podcast from the Smithsonian. You can find out all about their show on our website, biglisten.org. It's time for another quick break, but when we come back, we'll hear from an ex-public radio star turned podcast host about all the weird shows he's listening to these days. He loves the Muppets. He loves water parks. Best water park interview I've ever heard. (laughs) He interviewed a palindrome world champion. That's coming up when the Big Listen continues. Stick around. This is NPR. Are you frantically jotting down the name of every show we talk about on the Big Listen? If you are, you're probably getting a cramp in your hand because there are a lot of shows. But great news. We've already written it down for you and wrapped it up with a pretty bow in our weekly newsletter. So just go to biglisten.org and hit the button under my face that reads, get the newsletter. Do it now. Speaking of bows, tis the season to think about giving. So how about you support your local public radio station and kick them some cash for the holidays? Seriously, your public radio station is making this show happen right now, and we need to thank them for that. Tell them the Big Listen sent you. They will be totally tickled, and you will love that warm, fuzzy feeling. Thanks. This is Anna Jennings from Fayetteville, Arkansas. I've been obsessed with a new podcast called Robot Congress. It is supposed to be about a video game law. Famously, the law does not keep up with technology. We're stuck with entertainment laws that were made for newspapers as we're trying to release virtual reality games. Is that terrible? Yes. Is that something we have to live with? Also, yes. This week on Robot Congress, we're going to be talking about cybernetics, Cybernetics. the future of your insides. Who owns them? Who can own them? Are we just going to all be living cyborgs that live 3,000 years? Or are we going to be penniless slaves like in the movie Repo Men? The guys who do it are so funny and great. It's just a lot of fun to listen to, and I feel like I've actually learned a lot about video game law. So uh, have a good day. Thanks. 
Hey, pals, welcome back to The Big Listen. I'm Lauren Ober, and I want you to tell me about your favorite podcast. Call us on the pod line and give me the hot scoop. The number is 202-885-POD1. I am so excited to hear from you. All right, it's that time again. It's Listen Up time. The part of the show where we grill your favorite pod people, reporters, producers, hosts, about what podcasts they are into these days. Now hold on to your hats, kids, because today Mike Pesca is joining us. He's the former NPR sports reporter turned host of The Gist from Panoply. The Gist is a daily show about really whatever Mike wants to rant about on that particular day. It's Tuesday, December 13th, 2016. From Slate, it's The Gist. I'm Mike Pesca. Well, it took Rick Perry almost six years but he got what he was aiming for. And, and by the way, that was the Department of Energy I was reaching for a while ago. So. Rick Perry's reach did not exceed his grasp. He's Donald Trump's pick to run a department he thinks shouldn't exist. Maybe now, when I talked to Mike's producers about having him on the show, they assured me that their boss listens to podcasts that aren't on anybody else's lists. And boy, they were not wrong. Dude listens to some weird stuff, and he's going to tell us about it. Mike Pesca, welcome to The Big Listen. Thank you for having me. Okay, so I have it on good authority that not only do you host a podcast, but that you mm-hmm. are also a big podcast consumer. Do I have my facts straight? Yes. There are times when a podcast is not available to me and I get clammy hammed. Hammed. I, my hams, whatever <laughs> hams. luncheon meats I'm traveling <laughs> with, immediately begin to perspire, <laughs> such as my podcast, Jones. You get clammy hands. Hands. I do. I get nervous. I like to have podcasts with me all the time. Why? Well, it's sort of uh, the time-shifting aspect of it. I need to always be consuming. It's something that, let's say I'm listening rather intently. I could listen on time and a half, or if it's a slow-talking podcast, double speed, (laughs) so it's really efficient. But let's say I'm also reading. I could listen on single speed if it's not, you know, that really important a podcast if it's just a more for my edification mm-hmm. than necessary i could do that wait wait so, wait wait can i stop you you can read and listen to a podcast at the same time i could read uh, a book or a periodical sub economist level writing okay and supra let's say face the nation level podcast so a good <laughs> pairing there's a there's a chart so a good pairing might be an art section piece in the New York Times by the guy who used to play the puppet in Hand to God okay. and listen to Bill Simmons talk to Malcolm Gladwell on a podcast. Because if I miss a little bit of nuance with either, I'm fine. Right. But in general, I could I could consume them. Both. Right. Yes. You could fill in the blanks if there were any blanks. Mm-hmm. Like, and I know there's not going to be that much of the uh, Venn diagram overlap because that could be a problem. Right. Like you're listening... <laughs> To a podcast about the thing you're reading about, and you're like, who said what, when? Because there are some shows that I find that if I don't give them my full attention, I have to keep hitting the, like, go back 10 seconds button on my phone. Mm-hmm. Like, I yeah. can't. I once tried to reorganize my bookshelf while listening to Invisibilia, and I had to start the whole thing over again because it was just too confusing to try to do Yes, the, the thumbnail of this is if they spend more than 40 hours, man hours, woman hours, to make 14 minutes of the podcast, <laughs> it's going to be dense with information. <laughs> right. But if it's the, of the two blokes Gabin type podcast, right. then... They're a little looser in their language, and you could be a little looser in your attention. So then what are you able to listen to while doing something else? Or rather, what are you just listening to, period? 
Well, let's see. Let's go. Let's go on the uh, top. The top ten. Do I listen to cereal? I've never missed a cereal. I have a lot of thoughts on this year. <laughs> a lot of people have a lot of thoughts on this year. NBC that Bergdahl vanished under mysterious. A lot of thoughts on this year. Of the other ones, I'll I'll hit this American Life mostly. Today on our God, do I love fresh air? That is just the best. A lot of what you think you know about. I listen to the old wait wait. You're right. All right. Invisibilia. We are a show about the invisible forces that shape human behavior. Planet Money. I, f- I find that I uh, my way into Planet Money, which is still done by uh, my friend Robert Smith. Love it. But I'll hear it on NPR. I'll hear, hear the short version. And I'm like, I got to engage with the long version. And for economists, this is a total freak of nature kind of thing. Love. Still love Mark Maron. That guy's the best. Mm-hmm. Welcome to the show. My name's Mark Maron. This is WTF. Um, I thought there, a, a good idea for a podcast. First of all, the good idea for a podcast. Podcast is actually being done. <laughs> I thought that there should be a podcast where people just pitch podcast ideas. But a good idea for a podcast is to take famous stories, famous movies, and tell them in moth format. And the number one one that I thought of is Field of Dreams, oh right? Which starts off with... So I'm working in my field of corn, and I hear this voice. <laughs> why, why do you not have your own podcast production company, and why are you not rolling all these ideas out left, right, and center? I have... I have a podcast production company that works eight feet from me, and that's why I don't have my own. <laughs> and they're not executing my vision, but that's also why a lot of the Panoply podcasts are doing quite well, because they're not executing my vision. <laughs> so if you, uh, you know, if you leave work today, and uh, how, how do you get home? You commute? Where do you walk? Subway? What's your mode of transit? Biking and walking. Biking, walking, subway. All right. So are you listening to shows? When, when you're doing all of those, uh, when you're multimodal transporting yourself? Yeah. And I also, uh, when I used to walk the dog, I've stopped doing that for one big reason. But The dog died? Dead. Yeah, dead, dead dog. <laughs> right. Naturally. <laughs> that, was, that was prime podcast time. That was, I always say, people always say, oh, if you get a dog, you got to walk in the rain. No, if you get a dog, you get 15 minutes twice a day of just pure blissing out on podcasts and no one will blame you for it. Yeah. You don't have to talk to the dog. Like I used to walk my kids around in their strollers, but felt like I had to talk to them. Yeah. But walking the dog, it's fine. And so, so what, um, what are you loving right now? Like what have you landed on recently that you're just stoked on? Um, I like, I kind of like, um, Axelrod's podcast because he, he has a good way of engaging with people that, he clearly doesn't agree with Mitt Romney. That was a yeah. really good interview. So yeah. the Axe Files with David Axelrod. So you, you're you into that. Well, I mentioned Every, 47% it, thing. That was, everywhere you go, you're on tape. There's a, there's not, there's a tape. There's someone there with a flip phone or with a, a an iPhone that's capturing every word. And so you're not as careful about phrasing things the way you really want to phrase them. You're a little quick. You're flip. You're, uh, and that's, I think people recognize that's just not possible anymore. I also love finding semi-undiscovered podcasts. Mm-hmm. And I wish the comedy ones were tighter, but there is this podcast called Pistol Shrimps Radio. And the idea is these are two guys broadcasting a basketball game, a women's recreational league basketball game. And they're just so funny. Yeah, here we are at Pan Pacific Park for the big tournament. That's right. The Pistol Shrimps are facing off against the Badunkadunks here tonight in the North Gym. The team are warming up. We're warming up ourselves. It's been a long day. Mark was back from the wars, and I was at a quilting bee making a parachute lady. 
Matt, describe the atmosphere here. I think the podcast lasts as long as the game, which is well over an oh hour, boy. and oh that's boy. not good. <laughs> no, but they're great. Sixteen minutes left on the clock. Well, sixteen thirty-three, Matt. So I'm going to correct you right there. I know you hate it, but I have to do it. Well, you're wrong because now it's sixteen twenty-six. Well, when I said it before, it was I hate right. Hate to correct you, Mark. Well, I stand corrected, and I hope you do too. It is the best. Pretend professional broadcast of an L.A. recreational basketball game you have ever heard. <laughs> it, perhaps the only? Yeah, we're thinking maybe. <laughs> Close to only. Um, Can I throw a couple more out there? Yes, please, please. Yeah, tell us what we should be listening to. I don't know about that. I mean, if you think you're the kind of person who might like afterwards on C-SPAN, then yeah, you probably <laughs> w- I'm just telling you it exists. I'm the kind of person who does like that. Former White House Deputy Chief of Staff Carl Rove is the author of The Triumph of William McKinley. Then there's this guy, this is the undiscovered guy that I always recommend, the Jeff Rubin, Jeff Rubin Show. It's a long interview. He's like Terry Gross times one and a half, but on very specific niche topics among them. He loves the Muppets. He loves water parks. Best water park interview I've ever heard. (laughs) He interviewed a palindrome world champion. Uh, This is very exciting. Mark, let's start with you here, I think. What qualifies you? What makes you one of the premier palindromists in the world? What what are your credentials? So he gets an interest and he just goes with it in a big way. Mm -hmm. Jeff Rubin, Jeff Rubin Show. (laughs) It's called the Jeff Rubin, Jeff Rubin Show. The Jeff Rubin, Jeff Rubin Show. Guess who hosts it? Uh, those those are all great, and I feel like you've um, you have opened my ears to things I literally I had no idea were out there. So, on behalf of just me, thank you. Mike Pesca is the host of the Gist from Panoply. You can find out more about his show or any of the shows he recommended at BigListen.org. We've almost reached the end of this week's episode. No, no, no. But before we let you go, it's time for... C-H-A-R-T-R-A-P-H-Y. Chartography is our 60-second mapping of the iTunes charts. We're not looking at number one or even number 100. We're looking at number 289, which, out of a sea of thousands and thousands and hundreds of thousands and millions of podcasts, is like being a total superstar. So this week's 289, I don't even know if I can say the name of the show on public radio. It's called Sex with Emily. (gasps) Oh, goodness. Sex with Emily is a podcast with a woman named Dr. Emily Morse, who has a doctorate in human sexuality. They they start the show with this epic advertisement for something called a UV box. It's a beautiful locking storage box that also charges and sanitizes sex toys at the same time. (laughs) So so she's really into like repping brands. She also has an app (laughs) called Kegel Camp. Which I'll just like let you guess what that is. I I don't know. I didn't even I don't have space on my phone to download it. So I don't really know what it is. Um, anyway, they just like gas bag about nothing. Um, they talk for like ten minutes about how sad it was to be a Jew and not have a Christmas tree. It was not like we were super super Jews. You know, my parents weren't like, oh, trees but are they bad. Didn't do Christmas. No. So after that like ten minute preamble or twenty minute preamble, then 
then we get into like some listener questions. There's the one lady who writes in, I'm having some life struggles with maintaining relationships. And Emily advises her basically. Um, of course, I'm going to say therapy. Like that was her advice was, I mean, you should get a therapist and talk to somebody because yes, intimacy is hard and none of us know how to do it right. So yeah, sex with Emily. Uh, you don't get to have, you don't get to have it's not sex with Emily. Like, you don't get to have that. You just get to listen to her talk about... Okay, you guys know what I'm talking about. I know you're probably not going to believe this when I tell you, because it's so revolutionary, it's going to blow your mind. But the big listen can be taken with you on your digital device. All you have to do is hit subscribe on iTunes or NPR One or any fine purveyor of podcasts, and the big listen can go with you wherever you do. We'll never leave your side. As always, we love us some listener feedback. Like us on Facebook and or follow us on Twitter. We're at Here Big Listen. That's H-E-A-R, Big Listen, to follow us. Our electronic mail address is biglisten at wamu.org. And if you're in the holiday spirit and you're sending cards out, kick one to the Big Listen. We would love to hear from you. Looking for the show notes with all the links to this week's featured shows? We'll hit up biglisten.org. It's all there. Or subscribe to our official newsletter. There's a link on our website. The show today was produced, mixed, and edited by Jacob Fenston. I, Lauren Ober, was making my list and checking it twice. Special thanks to our lead reindeer, Beck Feldhouse Adams, for helping out. David Schulman composed the theme music. Other music in the show came from Army Navy, the band, not the store. The Big Listen is the brainchild of boss lady Andy McDaniel and her boss man J.J. Yorin is produced by WAMU and distributed by NPR in Washington, D.C., capital of America. Big thanks this week to WESA, the public radio station in my hometown of Pittsburgh, where I interviewed my mom. Speaking of my mom, we've heard from most of my family at some point in the show, so I thought it might be a good time to check in with my pops. Big Russ. Lauren, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Not bad, except, you know, it's snowing and cold here. So, um, I have a question for you. Have you listened to our show? Well, I did by accident, yes. <laughs> what do you mean by accident? Well, I thought it was on at a different time, and I was just listening to NPR, and there you were. So, I listened to the show. <laughs> Um, okay, so what are your thoughts on the show? Well, I thought it was very interesting. It sounded very professional. Okay, so, but did you have any any critiques of the show? Uh, yeah, as a matter of fact, I thought you used the word like entirely too much. Ah, uh, the critique of public radio parents everywhere. Well, my dad may be a little critical, but that's because he always wanted to do this radio thing himself. And he probably thinks he can do a better job than me. I'm thinking it could be called The Big Rush Show. Well, if The Big Rush Show ever materializes in podcast form, we'll let you know. Till next time. Keep listening, America. <laughs> that was very sort of like like commercial radio broadcaster circa like 1976. <laughs> All right, sweetie. I love you. <laughs> I love you too. Bye-bye. This is NPR. Hey, what are you still doing here? I know my family's heaps of fun and all, but you gotta go.
Hey, but before you go, give us a review, will ya? It really helps other very attractive listeners such as yourselves find the show. So go do it now. Give us a review. Please and thank you. Bye.